waiting on um, his turn to be called to get a haircut the other day. And we were at a place that just opened a few weeks ago. And they were quite busy because they had like $6 haircuts, and that's unheard of, right? $6 haircuts, and that's the reason we were standing in line or waiting in line. And I noticed that when a customer came in, uh, one of the workers and another worker kind of disagreed on how they should respond to this particular customer. And it was kind of like those memes you see on Facebook or some kind of social media where you just kind of grab your popcorn and sit back and watch the show. <laughs> Long story short, they couldn't agree who was in charge. They couldn't agree about authority. Who was the boss? In fact, the manager was nowhere to be found. And I told, I told Christian, this is a great example of people who can't get along. This person thinks they're in charge, and this person thinks they're in charge, and no one can agree. Isn't authority kind of a strange thing? Authority is often seen as way hot. Authority is often seen as evil, right? I mean, power corrupts. We all know that. Sometimes, of course, that's true. Uh, power does corrupt. Sometimes there are people that use their office or their situation to abuse others, to demean or to take advantage of those less fortunate. Maybe you've experienced that or you've seen that from a distance. But what about when leaders do something right? What about when widows and, and orphans are cared for all because someone was in the right position to do something about their plight? What about when someone stands up to the bullies? That's an appropriate use of power, right? Is power abused? Of course. Is authority all bad? No. I, I remember an 8th grade English teacher, and perhaps you had an English teacher like this as well, an 8th grade teacher that said, Choose words wisely. Words matter, right? So words like always and never carry with them an immense amount of weight. And they're used all too often in our world. Rarely do we say something happens always, or should we say that? Rarely should we say that something never happens. But when it comes to leadership, we label a thing good or bad based upon whether these people do things that we like or we don't like. Authority is a dangerous thing. But maybe it's not about authority. Maybe it's not about power that's evil. Maybe it's where the power comes from. Maybe it's where you get your authority. In other words, where you get your power determines whether how you act. For example, if someone makes themselves known or they think of themselves as being the boss, right? The manager's not around, so I'm going to say how things are going to go. No, I'm going to say how things are going to go. I was hired 30 minutes before you were hired. Get the idea? But when we begin to think that we are the boss, chances are there will be a backlash. Yet when others see a potential, they see a skill set or certain giftings, and they elevate people in the group, hopefully those people that are elevated are humble enough to never mistreat their position. You know just as well as I do that society says dog eat dog, destroy others to get what you want, 
for a new catchphrase is to get what you deserve. Hurt someone else before they hurt you. At least that's what the world says. But the Bible defines leadership, authority, and power differently. Jesus says things like, the first must be last, and the last will be first. He demonstrates leadership, love, and service by taking a towel from his waist and washing dirty feet, even feet that will eventually betray him. Of course, the Bible also speaks of church leadership by using words like submit. (laughs) That's something we could all work on, right? We don't like that word submit. But the word also challenges church leaders to love our sheep like Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? How did he love the world? Yeah. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That kind of love. The king was the ultimate servant. Throughout the Gospels, those who think they have the power fight against what Jesus is doing. Did you hear what I'm saying? We're talking about authority, and throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those who think they have the power, whether it's Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Romans, those who think they have the power are constantly fighting, creating this tension between themselves and Jesus. Case in point, Pilate in John chapter 19, verse 10, right? Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power to free you or to crucify you? Now we know in hindsight, that's crazy, right? That's, Pilate, you don't know what you're saying. Obviously, he didn't know what he was saying. And if you're reading with us through Mark, if you're reading through the first chapter of Mark this past week, you ran across verse 27 that says Jesus has just cast out a demon, and what is their response? It's not awe, it's not let's worship Jesus. They simply respond with, what is this? This is a new teaching, and one with authority. You see, church, authority is a major, major theme throughout the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark. I've asked you before several times, and I'll ask you again as we begin a new year, as we set out, to follow the course that God has laid before us in 2019, what will you do with Jesus? Isn't that, isn't that the ultimate question, not just for us in this room, but for the world in general? What will we do with Jesus? You can say he's a good rabbi. You can say he's a good person. You can say that he had morals figured out, but you're not saying enough. What will you do with, with Jesus? And what kind of authority would you offer Jesus. Luke chapter 6 verse 46 says, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Master and not do what I say? This text before us, the text that Dottie just read for us before she prayed, Mark 1, 35 through 45, is a text about authority. What will they do with Jesus? He's just done something miraculous for them. He's just proving what he came to do, and yet they're having struggles within their own mind because the Messiah, in their mind, is going to overthrow the Romans, right? The Messiah is going to come as a strong Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of guy on steroids that's going to destroy the little guy. 
but not so fast. Let me ask you what you do with authority. You know just as well as I do that Jesus in the Great Commission says, He's been given authority. Remember that? All authority has been given to me. But he doesn't stop there, does he? Now I'm giving you authority, he says. All authority has been given to me, therefore go. Here's your authority. Go and make disciples, right? So what do you do with the authority that God has given you? You're, you're empowered. You understand that, right? You have the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. You have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, living within you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And yet, church, the Spirit is all too often dormant in our lives. You hear what I'm saying? And the reason is, is because we don't really understand the Holy Spirit. And so we just discount, we may talk about it at a surface level, but we never, we never allow the Spirit to take up reign in our lives. We know the Luke 6.46 text that Jesus says, I'm, I should be your master. We know that, and some of us can quote that, but it's just that. It's a surface level thing. What would happen if we started living empowered lives, knowing full well that the Spirit lives within us. You know what happens? Twelve ordinary individuals. Peter, James, John, Nathaniel, Thaddeus. You, you can give the list, I'm sure, just like I can. But these twelve ordinary fishermen, come on, fishermen, they have nothing to offer, and yet they have Jesus. And because they have Jesus, He offers them the Holy Spirit. And because they have the Holy Spirit, they change the world. What makes 12 ordinary individuals become a group of 120 in the upper room in Acts? What makes that 120 become 3,000 or 5,000? Or you get the idea, right? This ripple effect of how God uses 12 ordinary individuals to change the world. They sensed they were empowered. There's something that happens on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends on them like, like tongues of fire is what the Scripture says. And they're given power. They're empowered to go out and to speak boldly. I.e. John and Peter as they speak and say, you do whatever you want to do with us. We're going to continue speaking the truth. And much too often in our society, church, we sit in the corner somewhere and we wring our hands and we say, we blame the world for taking God out of schools and all this other kind of stuff. But are we really filling our responsibility as being the church? That's my question. You notice in verse 35 here in Mark chapter 1, Jesus recognizes his authority. Come on, I mean, this is God in the flesh, right? But notice what it happens here. When he knows his authority, he's just healed this demon-possessed man. And, it, and the NIV reads this way, very early in the morning, it was still dark. And the priority that Jesus has is to get up, leave the house, and go off to a 
the NIV reads solitary place, the NET reads the deserted place, the, Nor the New American Standard reads a secluded place, but you get the idea. It's a place where you eliminate distractions. It's a place that you get away from the world. It's a place that it's just you and God. In other words, it's a sacred space. So what is it for you? I'm not talking about Sunday morning at 1045. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a sacred space because a sacred space means it's something that's somewhat consistent, right? Maybe it's daily. Maybe it's a couple times a day. But it's got to be something that's consistent. It's not just when the preacher says, turn to the book of, and you're looking to the index because you don't know what page it's on. You understand what I'm saying? It's more than just a Bible study. It's a sacred space. It's just you and God. That's it. And if you really love God, you want to spend time with God. It's got to be consistent. My, my prayer has been these last few weeks as we began a new calendar year, as we get into 2019, is not that just we'll become people of the Word. It's also that we'll fall in love with Jesus again and again and again. Well, the question is, how do you fall in love with Jesus? You get into His Word. It's a, it's a consistent thing, right? So this sacred space has to be consistent. It's also an opportunity as we talk about the prayer list from time to time, uh, especially on Sundays. It's a time that you can share your concerns and know the creator of the universe. Know that the creator of all this, here's your concerns. He knows the very hairs on your head. He, he knows you, your prayers before you pray them. And yet we have the great blessing. We have the luxury of, of sharing our hearts with the creator of the world, knowing that he can do something about those things that weigh our hearts down. Isn't that amazing? What a great gift. And a sacred space is not just about consistent and sharing your thoughts with God. It's also a time where you where you listen. In recent weeks, I've quoted to you the Psalm 46.10 text that says, Be still and know that I'm God. Many of you could quote that back to me. And we consider it a victory if we are still for about five minutes. I say weak. I'm going to throw you under the bus too. I, I really need to work on this consistency thing. I really need to work on this, being compassionate and sharing with God in this sacred space the things that weigh me down. In other words, before I go to you and, and dump on you, right, I need to have spent time with God. But I also need to work on this idea of just listening. And we live in such a rush, rush society, right? That we read a few passages, say a short little prayer, and then we're off and out the door, right? To go 
man, I hope I'm a better listener this year. I hope you're a better listener this year. Think about that for a second. This is God in the flesh, Jesus, who is going to obviously change the world. And his first, his biggest, his, the ultimate priority for him at this particular time, as beginning his ministry, is to get along with God. A sacred space. Because you understand, that's what makes it sacred, right? Maybe it's a kitchen table for you. Maybe it's a, a chair with a lamp where you can read really well. Maybe it's just away from the world. Maybe it's a, in your car as you're commuting. Whatever it happens to be, it's, it's just you and God. And that's it. That's what makes a space sacred is God's presence, right? I want to encourage you this year as we begin a new calendar year here at Hillcrest to consider a sacred space. If you don't have a sacred space, maybe this is a good time to consider where's a Where's a place that I can get just, not me and anybody else, just me and God, and do these things we've talked about, be consistent, share your hurts, maybe they're on the prayer list, maybe they're not on the prayer list, but share your very, your hearts with God, knowing that He can do something about it, and listening, as uncomfortable as that is, when you read through God's Word, I'm a... I'm a firm believer, the longer we listen, the more God will speak. And the reason that we're not hearing Him, because we're not listening. I want to challenge you with a sacred space. Notice, notice the disciples, right? They're, Simon and his companions went to look for Him. When they found Him, they exclaimed, Hey, come on, man. Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, well, let's, let's go somewhere else. Let, let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. He's going to remain focused. No matter what the crowds want from him, Jesus knows there's a plan. So a parenthetical note here in the Gospel of Mark, verse 39 So Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out. He recognizes authority. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within each of us if we're believers of Jesus Christ. I wonder if we recognize that authority. And I, I can promise you, I can promise you, I can promise you, and some of you have experienced this as well. The reason you don't sense that empowerment is because you don't have those sacred spaces. You don't have a place where you can get alone and be with God. Am I right? Second, I want you to notice the last part of this text. It says a man with leprosy. This, why, why is this right? So I get piggybacks on this. I mean, Jesus is going out. He's preaching to those in Galilee. Why would, why would Mark, why would the author include this text here? So a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. You, you guys know what leprosy is? Um, I did an extensive study on leprosy the last couple of weeks, and there's three types of leprosy in the ancient Near East, and it's not just the last three weeks. I did a paper back in the undergrad and on leprosy. Leprosy is something you don't want. Fair enough? 
There's three types of leprosy, at least for individuals. There's leprosy in homes and mold and things like that. But we're not talking about mold in houses and going in cleaning houses, black mold and things like that. We're talking about leprosy with individuals. And so these three, these three types of leprosy are one, one that attracts just the joints and, and, and it gets you to, to be where you're, it's almost like you're wasting away from the inside out. Can you imagine? There are things like depression. You mentioned depression earlier. Um, things like depression or uh, attention deficit disorder. There are diseases where we can't see them physically, but we sense they're there. You know what I'm talking about? This particular type of leprosy would be you could see the effects of it, but you just couldn't see it. You, you, you know what I mean? Um, Another type of leprosy is that which you can see. It's the exact opposite. It's the external uh, leprosy. That's the one we mostly think of, right? Where when you're up against a fire and, and you're, you, know, you, get, you develop these spots, typically on the back. And then these spots get larger and larger and larger and they're discolored. And it's, it's, almost, it's that phrase that we read about in the scripture that says, as white as a leper, right? So this idea of these spots starting on your back and getting larger and larger and larger and migrating all over your body and your skin becoming so calloused and your nerve endings not working anymore where you can get as close as you can to a fire and you can't feel it. And so you can imagine what would happen, right? I read an article several months ago now about uh, a couple of people in Mexico who uh, had this physical ailment where they couldn't feel anything these two kids, and they would cut themselves, and they would fall off of, you know, swing set or playgrounds or whatever, and the mother was at wit's end, as you can imagine, because they couldn't feel anything. Can you imagine? Well, this particular external leprosy, if you will, it begins to eat away at the, the end of your thumbs and the end of your toes, and eventually you don't have any hands and you don't have any feet. The third type of leprosy is a combination of that which you can't see and that which you can see. If there's, <laughs> I can't think of a good kind of leprosy, can you? I mean, leprosy is leprosy. You are, in the ancient Near East, you are required by society to dress in black. You are required to walk around and exclaim, unclean 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 and this is your warning to get far enough away where you won't be touched that you won't be come close enough to me where you'll be unclean as well right because if we're unclean in the ancient near east that means we can't go in to the synagogue we can't go into the temple we can't go to the place of worship right they have these little peepholes for lepers who could actually look in and see worship, but you were at a distance from God. Do you understand what leprosy does in the ancient Near East? This is ostracism. On st this is this is you can't get any lower than a leper. And so we find this text here in Mark chapter one, right out of the gate, if you will. 
about Jesus not only, not only casting demons out, right? Remember, we're talking about authority. That's, that's the theme. Jesus does something like He casts out demons and He teaches, like they say, with one, with authority. And then we get this account of Jesus and this unclean leper. He begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was, the NIV says, indignant. I don't know why they chose that, that word in the English. The English Standard Version says he was moved with pity. Or the NET says he was moved with compassion. Wow. I wonder as a church, I wonder as an individual, you know, I've been praying for the last, probably going on three years about myself becoming more compassionate. I, I wonder if, if, if you as individuals or we as a church are, are indignant about the things we see that shouldn't be. Or if we're moved with compassion, or if we're moved with pity. Because there are lepers in our society, are there not? They're far from God. I'm not talking about a skin disease, I'm talking about people that are, are far from God. People that need somebody to show up, do something about their ailment. And guess what? When Jesus is given authority, He gives us authority, and He says, go and do something about what you see. Go and bind up the wounds, he would say. Go and take care to notice. And I think all too often, church, we have our blinders on and we're about living Friday to Friday, right? Thank God it's Friday. Or as a good spiritual person, as a good church member, we're living Sunday to Sunday. Or perhaps Wednesday to Wednesday. But what about all the other days in between where God crosses our paths with lepers, with, with adulterers, with Child molesters. Did you, did you see the news where this woman in McKinney um, has now eight felony indictments about abusing a child or children? Did you see that? Read about it in the news. She's in Collin County Jail now. Guess what? Somebody needs to reach this woman. So have you prayed for her? The point I'm trying to make is we cross our path over and over. God crosses our path with people that need some kind of hope. And He expects us to do something about their plight. And I'm not convinced that we see very well. I love Jesus' response here, verse 41. I am willing, He said, be clean. Society may not let you in. Society may say you stand at a distance and you have to worship from over there and until you get it all together, until you wear the right kind of clothes, until you know the right language, until you do all these, jump through all these hoops, then you can join our crowd. No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am willing to be clean. This is the gospel. This is the good news for this leper, right? And sinners need to hear the good news. 
Verse 42, the gospel writer says immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. That's it. That, that is it. There's people in your life, there's people in your family, there's people that you work with that need Jesus. And, and, and God has put you in that scenario, God has put you in that place to share Jesus with these people. And this is what God wants to do for them. It's interesting here that Jesus sends him away at once with a strong warning. He says, don't, don't tell anybody about this, right? Go show yourself to the priest, make the sacrifices, do what Moses commanded. Right? He's a good Jew, remember. By the way, leprosy, technically leprosy, full-fledged leprosy could never be cured. That's why this makes, this makes it such a miracle. Leprosy could not, I mean, there, there are certain things like, um, let me give you a modern day example, eczema, right, dry skin, yeah, that, that can be cured. You can take medicine for that. You, you, can, you, can, you can treat the symptoms. We're not talking about treat symptoms. We're talking about from the inside out, Jesus heals this man. This is the gospel. And then he tells him not to go tell anybody except make the sacrifices Go show yourself to the priest as a testimony to what God wants to do for them. Isn't that interesting, right? As a testimony to what God wants to do for the religious people. They're so caught up in the law, they're so caught up in the Torah, they're so caught up in being religious that they're missing the Messiah. You hear that? We can be so good quote-unquote, good. We can be so good that we're not any good. Well, as is often the case, when Jesus changes your life, when, when Jesus goes into a hopeless situation and gives you hope, when Jesus makes you clean, when He offers you an opportunity to spend time with God, when He reminds you of what what the crucifixion and the resurrection is all about, this man can't stop talking. He goes out and he tells everybody, I, I, man, if we only had that kind of passion about what God has done for us. Glenn asks us, is there anything that you're thankful for? There's a couple people that, you know, they may be running through your heads or whatever, but I wonder how many times we take things for granted. How much do we take for granted? I mean, think about that for a second. You don't have to think about breathing, do you? There are so many things we take for granted. If you don't believe me, go spend a day in the hospital. Walk from room to room and see what's going on. Or go to a, go to a nursing home. Go to an assisted living place. Go, you know that in your own life, right? There are so many things we take for granted. God forgive us. We should be people that are quick to praise, quick to praise, quick to acknowledge what God has done for us. And I think all too often we are wringing our hands hoping that the world will get it. This text, verses 35 through 45, is about authority. I mentioned to you the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 specifically, where 
Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I'm giving it to you. Do something about it. He says something like, in another gospel, he says, you will do even greater things than I've done. Wait a minute. Do even greater things than Jesus has done? How is that possible? It's possible because, I mean, read John chapter 14. Don't, don't, don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you the paraclete. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you God, and he will reside within you, and you will do great things. You will do even greater things than I've done. Is that possible? Jesus says it's possible. We need revival, not because the Holy Spirit's not here, it's because he's been dormant for so long. In Luke chapter 10, let me remind you of a text before we close. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72. You remember the text, right? The Lord appointed 72, it says, and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Would you say amen? Yeah, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Get this sacred space. One of the reasons we're having a men's breakfast once a month is to have this sacred space. Not just as individuals, but collectively as a church. Ask the Lord of the harvest, he says. This is God's will that the world be clean. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Man, and we go out ill-equipped at times, don't we? He goes on to talk about faith, and if you're at that text, I want to drop down to verse 17, if you're there with me. So these 72 go out, and Luke records for us, they return with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. We just read about Jesus casting demons out in Mark chapter 1. And here we have 72 that Jesus has sent out and they've cast out demons. How is this possible? They've been revived, right? The Spirit is no longer dormant in their lives. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Wow! I want you to notice what Jesus says. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority. There it is. I have given you authority. Red letter edition. I, church, have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Do you believe that? However, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's even a greater miracle, right? What about authority? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have responsibility. You have an authority. And your authority comes from that within. The Holy Spirit resides within you. Will you allow Him to remain dormant? Or will 2019 be such a great year that we can look back in November and December and say, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Not because of who we are, but because of the authority that God has given us. Right? 
And when you come across these people in your world, when you come across these people in society that need a handshake, that need a meal bought for them, that need their rent paid, that need something, and you wish them well but don't do anything about their needs, what does James say? We're not speaking, we're not doing things with authority, right? What a huge responsibility. May God come back and find us, not as just people who consume, but we're actually going and doing with authority the things that God has called us to do with His authority, right? That changes from a good people to a people that is acknowledging who God is. Open our eyes, God. Open our ears. Allow us to see, allow us to hear. That's my prayer. Would you stand as we sing?